This is Sarkarigan. Welcome back to another episode of The Better Life with me, Megan Better. It's a new month, which means new goals and new blessings. Let's get into the episode. All right, in keeping with consistency, gratitude, and goals, Uh, So this week, I am thankful for self-awareness. Yeah, I'm just grateful for like knowing, being in tune with myself, how I feel, what I'm feeling, discerning it from like, you know, is this the story I'm telling myself? And that's how I feel. That's why I feel this way. Or like, is this fact? And this is why I feel this way. So super grateful for self-awareness. Yay. Uh, And goal. Goal is to be... My goal, my goal will be, sorry, to sort of this website stuff. Um, I've been, I was brought into a mentorship group, a cohort um, here locally. That's been like, yeah, I'm just super grateful to be a part of that. Um, But yeah, they assigned me (laughs) to create a website and I have, um, I have March to do it. So I have another 21 days or so to get it done. So yeah, that's going to be my goal is to like really buckle down on that this uh, week and to get that done. And if you have not heard, um, R&B Kitchen's second anniversary is this Saturday, March 5th. So if you're listening to this episode before the 5th, come down to R&B if you're local to Nova Scotia. Um, catch me there. You can catch the owners there. There will be games, prizes, DJ, free food, all of that. So yeah, we're just going to be, you know, enjoying the week. But the goal is going to be definitely to get the website going uh and to make it to the anniversary on time all right so for march i did want to talk about money and mental wellness so this week we're going to do money i think we might go back and forth like money mental money mental or maybe money money mental mental we'll see i don't know but i had something come up this past week um financially and I was like oh I probably should let the people know about different things um regarding money and banking so I work for um one of the big five banks here in Canada um and no I'm not a teller because some would be like I work for an international one of the biggest um financial corporations in the world and meanwhile they're like a teller um at like I don't know Chase or something so no I'm not a teller I bless those people I couldn't be one because you have to deal with people face to face every day and I don't have time for you to see my face while you're talking to me crazy anyways my position's a little more um detailed than that and it requires a lot more I have to be a lot more thorough at what I do than that but like I said shout out to them because they do the things I couldn't do but anyways so I'll tell you what happened any then to get started so my account was frauded um on Saturday I was horrified because I was like oh let me just check my account make sure like my rent is there la 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 um and yeah your girl was frauded um what makes it worse is that I was frauded in U.S. dollars well like the company was U.S. so they pulled out a particular amount U.S. which then is always like more Canadian so I was like I was just sick I was like great there goes my rent so then I had to let my landlord know like listen the rent is uh it's gonna be late because my account was frauded, it shut down, I have to get a new card, I have to get, like, you know, new accounts, um, I have to do an investigation, the money won't be back for, like, at least 10 business days, um, 
or it's going to be like 10 business days, but so we'll get into why that there's an asterisk on the 10 business days in a few minutes. But yeah, I was horrified because I don't even know how it happened. Like I hadn't been giving my bank information out, my card information. Like I still physically have my card. I haven't lost any checks, anything like that. So I was just devastated. I was like, great. This is like perfect. This is, and I didn't find out until Saturday, Sunday night. So I'm up like for hours on the phone on hold trying to get through the fraud or waiting to get through the fraud, sorry. And then I have to go to the bank the next day, which I hate because it was freezing here. It was minus 20 Monday morning, but I needed um, a bank card and I can't, you can't access your online banking once they cancel your bank card until you get a new one and activate it. Because um, once your old card's been compromised or your accounts have been compromised, they replace everything. And you can't get into anything until you um, get a new bank card. So I go to the bank take two pieces of ID, a piece of mail, my address, they get, they get set up the new accounts, they get the, I get the new card, whatever, I'm on my home, I'm late for work, but I told them, like, I'm gonna be late, I gotta deal with this, so that is fine, so, typically, like, I guess I don't know where to really start with, like, how it works banking, um, but, well, maybe we'll just start with fraud, and how we know fraud versus other things, so, the, whenever money goes missing from your account, it's important to know two things before you call your bank, because, I don't need you trying to get the people at the bank like lip if like there's there's a reason why and you don't want to hear it or you don't care you're upset um I understand you lost your money so sorry it happens to us too you know sometimes no fault of your own we understand like you know you have to pay bills I had to pay rent my rent is now going to be late luckily the landlord is very flexible and understands but so um because I was frauded and it was U.S. dollars whenever money is returned to your account so I'm getting ahead of myself. I was telling you all between fraud. So fraud is when money leaves your account from a company or source that is unknown to you. You have no prior history or relationship with them. It is fraud. A dispute would be when you have a previous relationship or knowledge of this company or you even purchase things from a company where they've taken funds out before. For example, things like Amazon, maybe your car payment, maybe your car insurance, uh, maybe Netflix, those, if they take money of your account that's unauthorized, or maybe they take out a second payment or something happens, they want something goes through your account that you didn't necessarily order or that you weren't aware of. That is called a dispute. That is not fraud. What that means is that you have your information with these people, you've given it to them for them to charge you, read your fine print. Another example of this is when you have a free trial for an app, for Amazon Prime, all of that. And what you don't do is cancel your subscription on time and then they charge you. That is not fraud. That is you not being on top of your finances and banking and canceling your service before the trial is up because most people want to use the services and not pay for them. So they cancel before it ends. If the trial does not, if the trial ends before you cancel it and you are charged, that is not on us to give you back your money. It might be on the company, but if the company says no, you cannot then call us to give us back to, for us to get you back your money. That is a dispute with the company. You need to deal with the company first. Secondly, regarding disputes, um, you, if you call the bank looking to do a dispute, we will not dispute it until you have contacted the company because you have to provide proof you've contacted the company and the company has either said like no or they said you need to go through your bank or you get no answer which I've had to dispute charges before because I've ordered things online they did not come I emailed the company no answer nothing um in that case they still do an investigation to make sure you're not bsing them 
and then if the font comes true that you're not BSing them, then you will get your funds back. And like for things like that, if you order something, then come through. But if you forget to cancel things, or your kids are buying a bunch of Roblox or V Bucks, that is on you. It's your your bank is not responsible to give you back that money at all because those are purchases that you made. If you give your child access to your credit card or debit card for online purchases, that is the mistake that you made. You know who needs to fix that? You yourself and your parenting. It may be a cocktail but not the bank the word you're not entitled to get your money back because you spent it or didn't realize what your child was doing you shouldn't have it linked up to their ipads you shouldn't be let them playing games on your phone or in-app purchase games all right are we clear fraud no prior history with the company or uh, merchant dispute prior history unauthorized transaction are you with me so far great okay next um so like i was saying because when i got ahead of myself when money is taken over your account and it's in a different currency if it is a dispute, whatever day, if, if it's a dispute and we're able to recover your funds because it was something that was genuinely that was unauthorized and you should have been charged for, but you want to keep the relationship with the merchant or like you were double charged or you purchased something that actually that you that didn't arrive in the mail or like, you know, something like along those lines. If you are charged in like we're going with U.S. dollars and we the money is returned to you is returned to you at the exchange rate of the day that the the money is returned and not the day that you purchased it because um as if you don't know the exchange in the dollar amount fluctuates daily for most currencies um so it's not we we cannot guarantee you or we don't guarantee you actually the bank won't um and even merchants won't if you deal directly with the merchant if we if they take a $20 US and it's like $23.50 Canadian and then it's a dispute and we decide, okay, we'll give back the money and they'll get back the 23 uh, US and the dollar just tanks and it only ends up being like $21 Canadian. That that's, it's your loss. Like that's too bad. Like that's because the dollars change and whatever day that you make that, re- whatever the funds are returned is what you're going to get back in your account, the Canadian equivalent. That's just how it goes. Now, in my case, because I was frauded and it's in U.S. funds and because I mentioned it on a call because all calls with banks are recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, what I said specifically, I said it because I was frauded in U.S. funds. When this money is returned, will I get back the Canadian equivalent that was initially taken out or will it be based on the exchange rate of that day? Luckily, the guy I talked to, I forget his name. I want to say it was Drew. It might have been Drew. And he said, no, he said, because of this fraud, what will happen is after the 10 business days, when our investigation is complete, we will return the amount to you. If it is different, if it is less than based on the exchange rate of that day, you will need to call us back. Yay me. And I'll, they all have to issue a credit for the difference of the amount to make it up because it was fraud in our dispute or a charge or a purchase that I made or what have you. Um, so that's why I put an asterisk earlier on. And I said it takes 10 business days because if if for whatever reason the exchange rate is worse than when I was frauded they'll have to make it up to me now I'm hoping that it's going to be better so we can turn a profit here but who's to say the way things are going right now I have no idea but the dollar has not been great for a while and the exchange on Canadian versus US dollar has not been great for a while so we will see how that goes but that has been like my what's been going on with my banking this week and I was just like great and I had to pay for like rent to pay for my braces and fraud and I was like you couldn't have come at like a worse time like why now so 
I'm dealing with that. Um, but yeah, I didn't go to bed till like 1 a.m. after I got off the phone with like fraud, and I have to go to the bank at 9:30 the next morning to get there as soon as it opens. That way, I can get home before work because after work the branch is closed um, and I cannot go without a card or accessing my banking until Thursday when I'm off quote unquote um, from my main job all right so that's what's going on with me so I'm just the rest of this episode is just going to be about different tidbits about banking now I can only speak for Canadian banks because I've only worked for Canadian banks um, I've worked for more than one. Um, U.S. banks, though, typically, like, most banks do operate roughly the same. Um, depending upon the country you live in, the rules might be a bit different around, like, certain procedures, whether it's, like, regarding credit, um, opening accounts, investment accounts, that kind of thing, or even how joint accounts work. But most structures are quite similar. So this the information I'm going to provide you can be applied to that as well. But when you have like actually let's start with joint accounts and why I tell people don't get a joint account or if you do like make sure you have your own personal account so excuse me in Canada if you have a deposit account deposit means checking or savings one that you can make deposits into whether electronically physically um, or through a teller or an ATM deposit accounts checking savings accounts if you have a joint account um, you and that party have equal access equal rights to the funds in that account if something goes wrong, you cannot kick a person off of a joint account. You cannot remove them. All you can do is open up a new account and remove the funds. Um, so, And that's where it gets messy because I've talked to a lot of clients over the years. Um, like, well, when I used to work in exclusively just like deposit accounts um, and bank accounts. So many marital disputes, familial disputes, just like people opening accounts with their friends who are like international students. But when there's a breakdown in that like situation, um, both parties have rights to those, that account. So if one party goes into that account, withdraws all the funds, they can do that. They can even close the account without you knowing. Um, I mean, you'll get to know pretty soon that it's closed, but they have rights to all the funds in that account. So they can go and withdraw those funds. That's it. Your ass out. Like, and, but it, when you open a joint account, that is part of that fine print that nobody tends to read or wants to read. And then they try to come back to the bank and be all big and bad and say, like, you let them do this. I'm suing. And like, at that point, you just press mute and like, let them talk. And I just drink my coffee or whatever I'm doing at the time. But be very careful with joint accounts. Um, and what I will tell you is that if you have a joint account with somebody, but you also have your own personal accounts, when they log into their online banking or you log into yours or they go to the bank, you can only access your accounts in that joint account. The other person can't go into the bank and access the accounts that they're not linked on. That's not how that works. It's a violation of your privacy and security. If that happens, you need to escalate it to the office of the president. That should not be happening. That's also why when people come like, oh, all of our accounts are joint. Actually, they're not. They're not. And people are like, oh, well, I can see their accounts. Well, I don't care what your spouse shows you at home. When you call the bank, we're not we're not going into your spouse's account because you say so and you manage the banking sucks to suck have them call in and give consent to speak with you or visit the branch but you know we're not going to go through this little power struggle power struggle over the phone about you doing the banking and just let me know i would not like to lose my job and i'm not like i'm not going to violate your spouse's privacy and security of their account they might have accounts you don't know about and if they do good for them but just be very careful with joint accounts. Always remember you can't access the, any other any other you can't access your joint account holders other accounts that you're not joint on. Um, 
big, 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 like exclamation point, exclamation, exclamation mark, um, investment accounts cannot be joined. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Now in parentheses, with the exception of non-registered savings accounts, I don't know what they're called in the States of sort of a later date, but investment accounts cannot be joint accounts your rsp which is equivalent to a 401k your tax-free savings account which i think is an ira in the states someone else can correct me those cannot be joint two people cannot be on those because it's tied into your sin number slash social security number and that can only be tied to who one person so those accounts can't be joint so i don't care if all of your checking accounts all your savings accounts are joint if you call and say oh like i just want to look at the tfsa it's and so it's in my partner's name we can't and we're not because it's not joint and that's not how that goes and they usually say like everything else is joint it doesn't matter it's not how it goes privacy security talk to your partner thank you goodbye um so be very careful um like i said at the beginning of this little spiel do not get a joint account unless you currently already have an like an individual account or open an individual account at the same time if you open an individual account it does not notify anybody else that you've opened that account um if the bank has to send you paperwork because you've opened a new account have them send it to your job you can suggest you can request that um at least at some banks like a different bank i worked at you could have your documentation sent to your work address or to your home address and i knew a lot of people had a lot of the documents sent to the work address that's none of my business unfortunately they made it my business when i had to like go through their file and talk to them but other than that it's none of my business but if you can do that that is a way to get around it if you're concerned or if you're being like financially abused at home or have like an abusive partner or anything like that you have those options or you can just make things paperless but typically when you first open an account and um, we have the documents have to be sent to you by mail if you open it like over the phone or online if you open it in a branch they'll give it to you on the spot and you can just shred it or whatever take it to your work and file it there um so yes so the second what is the second thing so yeah bank accounts um oh yes different things about bank accounts so uh, people who have overdraft um, I also have people like don't use overdraft. If you have overdraft, it's great. If you're pre-approved for it, it's great. Don't actually use it. Um, it will tank your internal score. And what do I mean by internal score? A lot of banks will tell you they don't have an internal score. Many of them do. Um, they will tell you, oh, it's not as important. It doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. There's an entire grading system to it. Your internal score makes a shit ton of difference to the banking that you're offered, whether you receive pre-approvals, um, whether not so much that they can bend the rules can't really bend the rules in banking or whether they may give you whether there's like a deferral option for you or not or whether they can like offer you an increase maybe like if these if your like income's not there but your overall spending habits and repayment history has been excellent different things like that so um you'll have an external credit score which is obviously transunion equifax here in canada i think there's transunion equifax and a third one down in the states i don't remember who the third one is um but with most institutions they have an internal score it's not listed anywhere you will not be able to find it anywhere the in, the bank themselves will not tell you and cannot tell you what it is because it doesn't exist remember so um because oftentimes people will do credit checks or they'll apply for credit whether it's a line of credit credit card overdraft um mortgage more we'll get into mortgages later because mortgages they're a lot more lenient on those because there's some more that goes into a mortgage it's a really big profile or a really big file to have with a bank so anyways we'll get into mortgages later but when applying for credit obviously there's like the external credit check which hits transunion equifax which is like the score most people know most people know their credit score in that sense now your internal score though is gonna is definitely gonna impact 
kind of whether the like some people get approved for something and they might say oh I got approved for 5,000 can I have 7,000 if your income is right if your income meets the threshold your debt to income ratio meets the threshold you might be able to bump it up if your internal score is correct if your internal score is low no and usually internal scores can range like a b c d e some will range between like 50 to 100 um it depends on the institution but from every from what I know, all of the big institutions have them. It's very much an unspoken thing. I don't even think all employees know about it who work in banks um, or who are client facing in banks, but there absolutely is an internal credit score and it could ruin your life if it's not, well, not ruin your life. It could prevent you from accessing certain things. Um, yeah. And Please don't try to like tell us that you didn't approve a credit check because you have to approve a credit check in order to apply for something. So like newsflash, we can't check your credit without you knowing because you have to give us a verbal consent over the phone. And remember, like I said, all calls are recorded or you have to give a written consent, which means you check off a box and sign a paper when you're in the branch or online. You have to acknowledge a, t- a checkbox. And if you don't acknowledge the checkbox, then you we can't do the credit check. Now, the tricky thing is with online that people say, oh, I didn't read all that. You're supposed to. And if you don't, it really is on you um, over the phone. You really can't call us on that BS because we have to like read you disclosures of the yin yang. We have to play them on a recording sometimes as well. So you'd like there's no way you missed it in the branch. You have to sign. If you choose not to read when you sign in branch or read online, that's on you. But over the phone, you cannot come for the girls over the phone or the people over the phone. They absolutely read you what you need to know. And if you said yes, that's on you with understanding. There's never any pressure to accept a sale. A lot of places, their banks work out. They do work on commission. I've been at banks that do operate on commission and don't for opening new products and stuff. Um, so what I will say is that like, yeah, if if you do feel pressured, I was still clients like you can always say no and walk away and think about it. There's no harm. It's even like when I've been commissioned and not commissioned, there's no harm in doing that. Um, what else? There's something that came up during that about the credit check. Um, oh yeah, side note. So this is not really so much to do with like banking itself, but credit checks. So for those of you who go out and are looking to purchase a car, if you get lending or you're funding through the dealership, most times it ends up through like the dealership will do it, get you funding, but it'll be through a bank. Whenever you're looking for a car, if you approve the the dealership to run a credit check, they're hitting your credit like five times because they're going through several lenders at once. So People who are really like keen and up to date on their credit and check their credit reports often, they'll sometimes call the bank and they'll say like, you guys did a credit check on me. I don't have any products with you. Like why? And the first question I used to ask was like, did you apply? Did you car, were you car shopping recently? Were you looking for a car? Did you buy a car? And if they say yes, I'll say, okay. I said, so when I'll say like, when you go to dealerships, what sometimes they don't tell you um, or what they don't like disclose or let you know of, or if you don't read all the details on the paperwork you're signing is that they are, you're consenting to a credit check, but you're consenting to them checking your credit to see what lender has the best options for you. So oftentimes there's like a verbal way that salespeople say it and they'll just say, um, we're going to check to see like what lender can get you the best deal. That means that when, I mean, it happens no matter what, but when they check your credit, they're hitting like five places. So if you go go apply for a car here in Nova Scotia, you're likely, it's going to hit probably depending upon your credit. So if you get approved for like, if your credit's decent, you're going to get approved for like probably it's going to run through TD, uh, Scotia Advance or Scotia Auto Loan, Scotia, Scotia Plan Loan, Scotia Advance or Dealer Advance Loan. Um, it's going to hit, it potentially might hit BMO, but I don't really know too much about BMO on their loans or it could hit, um, CIBC as well and like a few other ones. So 
but it will it will hit your credit check it will hit your credit multiple times so if you apply if you're going shopping for a car and you do get approved one or if you don't get approved one which can be worse because it's hit your car it's hit your score a few times um it's gonna show everybody even if you like don't have the the vehicle with them um so that's something to be aware of when you are car shopping to make sure that like you know make sure your credit is in a good place before you go so when you can get approved but so that if you are approved and it hits your score a few times it's not gonna like it's not gonna impact it as much as it would if you didn't have a good score and you weren't approved so keep that in mind um mm, the same thing will also happen because a lot of people will all like and i don't work for the credit bureau i never have but there's still some things you learn about the credit bureau um in working in the financial industry and just like personally when you kind of do a deeper dive into it for yourself so you can know the inner workings when you do like contact the credit bureau for yourself there's a lot you find out so what i did find out and some people say you shouldn't say that you can't say that whatever this is not advice this is just purely information based whether you believe it is up to you whether you take it and apply it is up to you i can only tell you what i've seen and what i know do with the information what you may it's my first disclaimer um so when your credit is hit even when you apply for a credit card so credit card cell phone depending upon the city you live in uh, an apart like rent or apartment building um utilities what else requires credit there's a few other things i'm forgetting but those are the main ones so utilities cell phone um so utilities could be like power water and internet just so you know um as well as you know uh rent um things like that so those will all credit check you um and they all impact your credit when you whether you pay them on time or not so if you're paying your cell phone bill late get it together that's impacting your credit and might be keeping your score low but what i was saying is that when you apply for credit even if you get approved it can drop your score and it, most times it will drop your score because you've done an inquiry in general whenever you do an inquiry it will drop your score but the thing is specifically with credit cards um, is that when you apply for a credit card and it does hit your score and it drops it, if everything else in your financial like behavior stays the same, your score will come back up in, inside about three months, 90 days, three months, as long as everything remains the same previously. Now, if you start like messing up and you're not paying other payments on time, whatever else, your score is going to stay low, obviously, because that impacts your score. But you apply for a credit product, you get approved. Um, you maintain payments on it. You're using it, but you maintain the payments and keep the balance like under 35%. Um, your score will come back up, but it is standard. It's normal. Um, so don't, you know, freak yourself out by that or don't get too caught up in that. Um, what else was I going to say? Yeah, that's mostly it when you do credit checks. Just know that you are doing them. Uh, like when you consent to it that, you know, we can't do it without your consent. And when you go shopping for a car, it's going to hit at least five. You're going to get dinged five times on your credit. So fyi before you tell them yes make sure your credit's in order before you go um what was the other thing i think yeah no we'll leave that alone with credit and everything like that um we'll get back into like banking so as i touched on earlier we talked about internal score um so a few things go into your internal quote-unquote credit score your bank credit score within your institution so that has to do with um like your spending behavior so like client behavior so as far as like you paying like if you have any credit products paying it back if you have overdraft are you dipping into that often is it more than a day are you paying it back um is it reaching like 30 days if you're not paying it back or are you constantly like are you using your overdraft like a credit card you're constantly in it because overdraft will cost you more in the long run in interest than a credit card will 
because with a credit card you have a grace period with overdraft you don't everybody did everybody catch that credit card you have a grace period to make the full payment back uh overdraft you do not overdraft your interest starts right away at least in canada and it's the same i think overdraft interest is 21.99 percent um across all of the major institutions and some of the smaller ones and most interest on a credit card if you do a cash advance right now is 21.99 percent. i think mastercard might be 22.99 percent. i don't work in credit cards though anymore so double check those numbers um but yes so with a credit card if you buy something you have until like the payment due date to pay it back before you get charged interest if you don't pay it in full. If you go into your overdraft, you're getting charged interest that same day. So when you even if you pay it back the next day, you still have you still have to pay like a day's worth of interest that you used to be charged at the end of the month when your when your monthly bank fee is applied. Credit card, again, you have that grace period because you have to pay it off by the due date in full to not be charged interest. So, you know, using your overdraft can definitely impact your internal score. Um, but things that will kind of keep it or have it keep, not so much keep it good, but like maintain a good internal score is making your payments on time to credit products, making full payments before the due date. You also want to make your payments before the due date, but after your statement prints, because your statement printing showing you owe a balance sends, sends a memo to the credit bureau that you're using your credit products, but paying it off before the due date shows that you're responsible in your spending behavior and that you're paying it back every month and paying it back in full. If you do need to maintain, if you do have to carry a balance on any credit products, I'd recommend carrying it on a line of credit over a credit card. Line of credits have historically have always been lower interest rates. If your credit's a bit bad and you've been approved one, your line of credit interest rate is probably above 10%, which is a bit high, but still better than a credit card. And as well, um, it's just, you know, you, if you don't have to carry a balance, don't carry one. But if you have to carry it, carry it on a line of credit. If you're carrying a balance overall, you want to make sure the balance is under 35%. Before, it used to be around 75%, but it's things that they've kind of changed that a bit. So you want to make sure you're revolving, which means you're not, you don't carry more than 35% of your overall limit on that product at any time. So keep that in mind. If your limit's $10,000, you don't want to have a balance of more than $3,500 at any time while you have that product. And if you do, you want to make sure you pay it back down within that month. So you don't want to show on the bureau that like it's above the 35% one month. I mean, one month is not really going to kill you. Continuously, it is. Like two months, it's going to, it might start to impact you. But anything under that, you'll probably be fine. Um, I don't know, credit cards are really tricky. Like, I don't have any credit cards anymore because I, anyways, it just, it was, it was tough. And then I wasn't, I was unemployed for a time anyways. So I, two of the three are paid off, thankfully. Um, but neither here nor there. Um, so yeah, your internal score. So making your payments on time, making full payments before the due date, but after the statement prints, after the statement date, um, making sure you're using the credit products you have and keeping like your account balances and like a healthy standpoint. So, like making sure you're not, like I said, if you have overdraft, you're not going to overdraft, making sure you don't have NSF fees. NSF fees will tank your internal credit or take your internal bank score. Um, even if you pay the funds back, even if they reverse it and banks don't have to reverse it, but if they do reverse it, um, it will, it will tank your score. So you want to try as best you can to not have NSS. I know banks will tell you it doesn't, imp- it doesn't impact your credit per se, um, but it will impact your internal credit. So like the type of client that you are with the bank that will impact it. Um, and I also tell you, I forgot to mention earlier, 
it is harder to get approved for overdraft than it is for a credit card. Credit cards, the money itself for the capital is supplied by external companies. So Amex, Visa, MasterCard. Um, overdraft is capital supplied by the bank themselves, like the institution. So it's a lot more risk associated with overdraft, which is why it's harder to get approved for. I've seen people with credit scores in the 700s get declined for overdraft. Because like I said, it's the bank's own money. You could have a great credit score and have poor spending habits for the time being. Like you could you could always be an overdraft in your account or you could always be like maybe getting NSFs, but you know, NSFs don't really impact your credit, just your internal score. So the bank is likely to say, like, no, you don't manage the money you have well. We're not gonna give you some of our money. Apply for a credit card. Um, again, my personal feelings are it's better to use a credit card than just use your overdraft because you at least have a grace period before you start accumulating interest versus on a overdraft you're accumulating interest immediately yes we're here okay great i'm gonna get some water because i'm a little parched it's the end of rsp season um it's been crazy at work the last like four shifts that i've been in um so yeah i'm parched today so i'm gonna get some water and i'll be back all right much better much 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 better so it just it's kind of round this out cap this out banking things you should know things you want to know so i touched on earlier that getting a mortgage not so much that there's more like leniency there's more wiggle room but it's a bigger asset the branch has or the bank has to manage so not that they're willing to make adjustments but there's ways that they can assist you so like say like a credit card you might need a score of like 680 minimum to get a credit card. Your score might be like 620. You want to get a mortgage. They're going to look at your debt to income ratio. They're going to look at your available credit. So like it might be credit cards that you have at other institutions or even the same institution that you're not using. That's just been open. Um, And they're going to look at like your income. So if you are self-employed, you need at least two years of T1 generals. No one tells you that before you go to the bank, or at least most people don't know that. If you're employed, you need a T4. Or your monthly income, if your monthly income goes to the, into the account that belongs to the bank or you're getting a mortgage, if it's an outside bank, you want to take in your T4 is the best. Pay stubs are like kind of okay, but T4 is the best in the previous year. Um, and like I said, if you're self-employed, you need at least two T1 generals from the last two years. Um, if you've been employed full-time and self-employed, you can use the full-time employment. Um, they won't consider the self-employment as supplementary income until you have at least two years of self-employment income okay we're still together okay yes all right so so with a mortgage like i said someone you might normally for a lot of credit products need at least like a 680 not higher um, i've seen some approvals around like 650 634 very rare but it still happens so the mortgage though like i said it's a big asset what some people also don't tell you about mortgages or when you get a mortgage and some people prefer to do this some people don't is that depending upon like your liabilities that maybe you cannot get rid of like your car like you just can't down you just can't pay the loan off tomorrow um or if you have like maybe renovations you do to your home or even just like little loans like you have credit cards lines of credit you want to close or that are open at other institutions based on what you can be approved for at a bank right now in canada um, most banks, most of the big five banks are going with like four times your income. Um, some have gone, some have, have lowered it from five times to 4.5, um, just during the pandemic. 
And a lot of conservative banks are still sitting around just four times your income. They won't go to five or they won't even go to the 4.5 times. So you want to make sure you know what you're going into this with. So a lot of people don't know like how much income you like, how much they can be approved for. Go with the safest bet if it's gonna, any institution will approve you for four times your annual income. So that's why it's important to have your T4. Um, so if you're looking at buying a home this year, wait until you file your taxes if this year's income was higher or 2021's income was higher. Take that T4 in with you. Don't take your 2020. It's not your anyways, you'll be approved for less. Um, and essentially, it's the income for everybody who will be on the mortgage. People who are on the mortgage are not necessarily on the deed. Don't let that go over your head. That is a very important distinction. You do not have to be on the deed to be on the mortgage. You do not have to be on the mortgage to be on the deed. I'll let you all make your own decisions about that, <laughs> but make the right decision. Um, but yeah, so say you you want to purchase a home. It's $500,000. Four time, divide that by four is 125000 annually. If you don't have $125,000 in annual income, say you have 60000 If you're a partner or if you have a family member who maybe makes $75,000 um, a year, annual income you're looking at an annual income of 135,000 total you can get approved for what that's 7140 $640,000 for a mortgage so sometimes you'll see like people on a, you'll see like seven percent well you actually won't see it unless you work in banking but I've seen like up to five people on a mortgage this was in Ontario because it's been crazy there um but you'll see that happening or sometimes like that's how a lot of people also accumulate and generate wealth is properties like assets in the forms of property and there's no shame in having all those people on the mortgage all those people don't pay the mortgage all of those people are not on the deed but a lot of times you'll see people come together predominantly families um who have maybe immigrated here um or maybe like first generation families things like that you'll see a lot of that and honestly it's the it is the fastest way to generate wealth for your family or even generational wealth is like I said assets and real estate so if you can do that or even if you have friends that want to get together like that's how people purchase franchises you pull your money it's harder for one person to get approved for a hundred thousand dollars than it is for like 10 people to get approved approved for ten thousand dollars you still with me all right hopefully this has your mind going you're thinking it's making sense it's clicking so um, as far as, like I said, back to mortgages. So you can include your debt in your mortgage, but the catch is you have to close with your product that we're paying off. So what I mean by that is, for example, I want to buy a house. I have a $30,000 line of credit at like TD. I have a credit card at BMO and I have a second credit card at Scotiabank. I can include in my mortgage if I have if I have the allowable income, if I need to buy a home for like 500000 I still have $50,000 left to play with because I was I only need four hundred fifty. My income allows for five hundred thousand. If my debt, so like the line of credit, the credit cards are all under fifty thousand, I can like use the funds that I've been approved for for my mortgage, pay that off, but I have to close out the, that line of credit and those two credit cards. I cannot keep them open if they're paid out. I can go ahead and reapply at that institution to open a new card, but I cannot keep those cards open as a sign of good faith of the lender, whether it's a bank or a B lender, or just like a more like your mortgage or whoever, whoever gives you the mortgage funding for the mortgage, a sign of good faith, you have to close those out and they need proof that they are closed out um, before like a lot of things are finalized or closed on your mortgage or before funding is sent or complete funding. Um, so that's something important to know. You will have to close them out, but you can also reopen them again. As far as your car goes, um, your car is paid off. So kudos to you. You, don't have, you no longer have a lien on your car. Your car is yours good or bad if you lease it's perfect um if you no 
if you lease you don't have really have to worry about that if you finance it's perfect it's paid off whatever whatever um there's really no need though i would tell you if your car is on like zero percent financing there's no need to really include it in your mortgage unless financially it makes sense so you want to talk with an advisor um particularly mostly like at a bank or wherever you're getting the mortgage from get them to open up the mortgage calculator um most institutions have one uh, the bank i worked at previously i used to sell mortgages so the mortgage calculator was wicked it would like blow people's minds how much they could save if they lump things if they put everything in with their mortgage guaranteed busy asterisk they did not run up their credit again it's so, like they didn't go buy a new car like run up a line of credit or what have you um so there's that now we will not like no, I'm getting ahead of myself. I might have to do a part two of this because like more things are coming to me and you guys might have questions. But so as far as a mortgage goes, like I said, four times your income in Canada. I don't know what's like in the States. Um, down payments is usually best to go with at least 10%. I think sometimes it's 5% if you talk to CMHC, depending upon if you're a first time home buyer, things like that. There are programs in place to help you make like secure a down payment if you don't have the savings or capital for it already. But you want to have at least 10% to put down. If it's your second property, you do have to put down a significant amount more. Um, if you already have like one property under like your management or your primary residence or what have you, that's for a different day. That doesn't apply to most people. Hopefully, though, it will apply to you and me one day. Um, but yeah, mortgage is easily the one of the biggest decisions you'll make in your life and is the biggest financial product you will ever own in your life. Um, so be very strategic in what you do with your mortgage and how you have it planned out. Um, traditional mortgages run about 25 years. I think conventional is 30. Most institutions are no longer offering the 30-year mortgages. Um, that's your amortization. I know it's a big word, big word for Elmo, whatever that joke is. Amortization is the entire length that you've that you've received the money for that you have to pay back over time. Your term is the your term is tied into the interest rate you're paying for like that period. So if you have like a four year close, you're paying the same interest rate on that on that though that amount you have owing on your balance for your mortgage for those four years. You renew your mortgage at the end of those four years for a different interest rate. This is why COVID was kind of, it was really good for people who were renewing mortgages because when the rate of prime dropped, it lowered the mortgage rates like significantly across the country. So it was good to take advantage of during that time. Now, now that we're coming out of it, the Bank of Canada is supposed to have a meeting, I think the end of this week or the beginning of next week, where they're supposed to increase the rate of prime. They were supposed to do it back on January 27th. It didn't happen. People were upset what do you do um but they're supposed to have another meeting and make an announcement a lot of people are leaning towards they are going to increase it just due to everything going on in the country economically inf inflation um with them deciding covid's finally over that's not a political statement y'all i'm just that's what it looks like to me anyways but so people are under the assumption that the bank of canada is going to increase the rate of prime if you don't know what the prime rate is google it um it is set by the bank of canada so for those of you maybe who have credit or who have lines of credit your interest rates usually prime plus prime right now is 2.45 um it was up to 3.95 before the pre-pandemic they lowered it three times in the first two quarters of 2022 um technically the second and third quarter finding like the second and third physical quarter of 2022 so if you work in banking or finances um our quarter starts november 1st of the the previous year so q1 for 2022 for me is november so like i'm always keeping track of like two different um like calendars in my head or two different years so to speak so there's a fiscal year that the industry runs on and then there's also the calendar year which mostly everybody else runs on um so 
there's that's more information for you like we're a month into the second quarter or q2 of 2022 um hopefully everyone made their rsp contributions as well by end of day march 1st if you didn't so sorry but you definitely have more than enough time to apply that to your 2021 tax season anyways so back to what i was saying rate of prime so mortgage rates are tied directly into the rate of prime so either your rate's going to be prime plus or prime minus typically you really do not see prime minus very often you have to have supreme pristine credit when i'm and I'm by that i mean like you might have credit products you don't have a lot your limits are not crazy high but you're constantly using them and you're using them in a responsible way so you know people have like maybe like an 830 860 um i haven't seen anything above like an 860 ever i don't even know if they'll allow you to have that i feel like they'll just knock points off because you're like you're too close to 900 we can't do it. we can't allow it but um like things like that i've seen people get like prime minus like i said it's very rare um you cannot ask for your prime so you cannot ask i want prime plus this it's not a real thing you have to kick rocks i'm so sorry that's just not it's not a thing you cannot pick your interest rate which takes me into lines of credit and loans you cannot dictate your interest rate what dictates your interest rate is typically your credit score and what comes back from the credit bureau we have no control over what comes back from the bureau but i can tell you that whatever rate you get you do have to keep it for minimum six months some institutions will require you keep it for the year so when that year is up you can then go ahead and reapply to to see if you get a different rate reapplying for a different rate involves a credit check be careful at how many times you check your credit in a year um and similarly at some institutions you can for like lines of credit you can request a credit check every six months to see if you get a lower limit with some institutions the good thing is if you do like if you request to have a limit change and we do a credit check and your it do, it increases the rate you have the option to still keep your current rate that you're at but your credit still remains checked or dinged so to speak so it's still a hit on your credit so be mindful of that but you do have the option um a lot of banks won't tell you that outright some advisors or agents will let you know that at the bank if they know like it's something that's like important to you and been based on the relationship not all advisors will tell you that not every people not everybody is privy to that as well um there are some things that it just takes being in the industry to know as well or to get familiar with um I, there's no real better way to say that so it, it is tough sometimes where like i'll talk to clients like oh you're so knowledgeable i wish so-and-so told me that why don't they tell you that why isn't everybody trained like that um a lot of the knowledge i have isn't necessarily from training it's just from experience and like doing some like homework outside of work and just like wanting to know different things about my own finances and what's going on with other people things like that um, but not everybody has the, everybody has the same baseline like required foundational knowledge but how you build on that is really up to you based on the role you're in or the role you want to go to within a bank or within a financial industry um oh my god i had a really good point earlier and now i lost it we talked about mortgages um internal credit oh so to like yeah so probably end off on this um banks will not tell you this but I'm going to tell you this, like they, they won't, they'll tell you, oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't make a difference. It absolutely does. The longer you are with the bank, the higher likelihood it is that you have a higher internal credit score. The more likely you are to receive like pre-approved offers. Um, the more likely they are to work with you. Say if you need a deferral or a payment's going to be later, like sometimes changing your payment date. Um, side note, now that I've said that, um, if you're ever going to be late on a payment for a loan you have, or even like a line of credit, you can call them, give them at least like a week, two weeks notice, um, ask them to change your payment date. So you can usually change your payment date like once a year, depending upon the institution. Some don't allow it. I know there were a lot of deferrals that went on in 2020, um, like all the Q2, Q3, 
q3 q4 fiscal and calendar year 2020 so i don't know how that's played out because i'm no longer working like in credit with credit facilities so like credit cards lines of credit loans but you can typically change your payment date at least once a year on your payment so if it's a fixed like fixed uh, credit product like a loan you should be able to if it is a revolving credit product like a line of credit you should be able to as well credit cards we cannot because the payment due date is based upon the statement date um I'm not going to confuse y'all with that today because it is very confusing and you need to be looking at your own statement for it to make sense because I'm just going to be saying things like, you know, business days, calendar days, and you're, you're not, unless you're looking at a calendar or in your, or your statement is just, is not going to make sense. So we'll say that for another day, but you can change your payment. Anyways, like I was saying, the longer you've been with the bank, the better the relationship is internally with the bank. So not so much whether you have an advisor you talk to all the time, but just the relationship that you have within the bank itself. Um, it's always ideal to keep your first credit card. I don't care what credit card it is. I don't care if they change it. I don't care if they discontinue it and they gave you a new one. Keep that credit card open. I don't care if the limit is still $500. If they offer you to increase it, always take the pre-approval. I'll come back to that in a second. But your first credit card that you have ever opened on your credit file is the most important because the longer you have that card, the stronger your credit score will be if you're doing everything else right or even if there's some slip ups along the way. But longevity with the credit product is key to the credit bureau. And it really helps back and strengthen your credit score. So those of you thinking like, oh, I got my first credit card at university. Like, I don't really use it. Use that card at least like once a year. Like, please use it once a year and do not pay it off the same day you buy something. Because it's going to show you're not using it. But even if you want to put like your Netflix on it, I'd like to tell people that just to keep it active. So it looks like it's being used. Put your Netflix on it. Put your like Amazon Prime monthly payment on it. Put your Audible on it. Whatever you want to do. Put like a monthly subscription on it. Hell, your car insurance, if you can do that. Some companies don't allow you to pay with a credit card. If some of them do, do it. You'll earn points. Looks like you're using your card. All that good stuff. Consistency. But your oldest credit card, keep it and use it. Like I said, even if you use it like once a month or like I said, for like a monthly subscription, hell, even an annual subscription. That is good because that shows responsibility, quote unquote, loyalty um, as well. So you definitely want to do that. Now, some banks... Now, where I'm currently working at, it's not what we do. Other banks I know of will do that is that based on your loyalty, so how long you've been a client, there sometimes are different offers that are provided to those clients. So like you might get a better off rate on like a GIC, um, not so much mutual funds because those are driven by the market and there's no predictability in rate of returns. We can only give you what the previous history has been for like potentially 10 years. If it's been, if the fund's been, is as old as 10 years, but um, mutual funds there's no predictability but as far as interest rates on savings accounts or boosts or bonuses or GICs some banks will give you more give you a bonus depending upon your loyalty how long you've been banking with them some banks will also do it based on how much money you're investing um, where I'm currently uh, working now it's not based on dollar amount it's not based on loyalty it's just based on what our rates are that we can offer you um, there's typically three tiers of rates as well there's an offer rate which typically is the same as the posted rate online or sometimes it is um, or your baseline rate sometimes it's higher you have like a preferred rate so like just for the say like because you're such a great client we can offer you this rate and then there's a manager rate um, you'll know these clients because they'll come and say what is the manager rate for this one or they'll say or when you give them rates they'll say is that the manager rate um, those people know their things like just oblige them give them the manager rate don't fight them on it they know what they're talking about but back to us saying about loyalty and longevity keep your first credit card as long as you possibly can 
Um, if you open up a second one or like your adult one and you close your younger one, keep just keep that one like essentially forever. I don't care if you close out every other account at the institution you got that from. Keep that blessed card open and use it. Um, if you have any credit products that you're not using, if you're getting into the phase of your life where home loan ownership is important to you, close it out. So, for example, if you have a student line of credit, you most institutions will not let you use that for anything other than education, depending upon the parameters and restrictions they have put on the account. It won't even let you take the money out without you going to the bank, showing a tuition slip, all of that. But if you have like lines of credit that are dormant that you're not using, um, close them before you go to apply for a mortgage or at least don't submit the don't do the mortgage application until you talk to the advisor so that you can give they you can give them the full picture of like your financial like scope so they can kind of zoom out see everything going on um even though like i said earlier if you're not using your credit products but they show that they're available to you it still will add to your debt to income ratio as a possibility of you being able to max that out so there's that um a little pro tip because i'm just gonna end with pro tips because i'm i'm probably gonna have to do a part two <laughs> because there's so many other things that came up throughout this conversation um if you do not have a down payment for a home, what I have known clients to do, um, and it's not recommended, I'm just telling you this for information's sake, just, you know, tales of my days at uh, institutions. Um, what they've done is they've applied for a line of credit and they've used those funds. You cannot tell the bank when you're applying for a line of credit, that's what it's for. I don't care what you tell them it's for. I don't care if you tell them it's for vacation, tell them it's for retirement, tell them it's for emergencies, tell them it's for a car. I don't care what you tell them. Don't tell them it's for the down payment on a home. You will not, it will not be approved. They will, they'll just like, they won't even run. Most times they won't even run the application. They'll decline it. So if you need a down payment for a home and your only option is to use a credit products and you're going to apply for a line of credit, um, or even a loan, but a line of credit's a bit better because it's revolving. Um, do so, but do not tell them it's for a down payment. Tell them it is for anything else. I don't care if it's for dental surgery, a BBL. Tell them whatever you need to tell them, but don't tell them it's for a down payment or else it's not going to be processed. <clears throat> um, let's just cap it there because I gave y'all a lot of information and I'm sure y'all going to be like, what is she talking about? I don't know any of this or like this is really good to know. But we're going to cap it here, but I'm definitely going to have a part two for sure. Because I feel like y'all are going to have questions. Um, mind your business. Also, don't tell my employer because that would be horrible. Then I can't give y'all more tips and tricks. And as things change within the industry, y'all need to know. Um, there's probably there's going to absolutely be a lot of changes that are coming up now that we're coming to. I think it's called an endemic. We're like, it's the, whatever. It's self. It, it explains itself. But um, there'll be more things coming up too that I'll want to share with you guys. But Leave comments below if you're listening on like Spotify um, or if you find this post on Instagram, definitely leave a comment below the post. If you have any additional questions, you can DM me if you know you're concerned. Um, well, I am a licensed advisor, licensed meaning like mutual funds licensed. Um, There's so many areas of the bank I don't work in anymore that I used to. So some things have changed quite a bit. Um, like I told you, like before, when I was working, you know, approval for mortgages was five times your income. Um, a lot of conservative institutions have dropped it down to four times. Some still will do 4.5 times your income. Um, you always have to show proof of, you know what, part two. We're just going to go to part two. We're going to get a part two. It won't be this week, um, but it'll be some point. Maybe I'll make it a bonus episode. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to make it a bonus episode. But let me know what you think. Let me know if I talk too fast. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed this money March, all of that. Um, did March come in like a lion or a lamb? Cause I feel like Groundhog Day is stupid. 
but March coming in like a lion or a lamb absolutely makes sense about what spring will be like. Um, so let me know how the first day of March was in your area and I will be back to check on y'all next week. Sarkarigan's production.